0: The early church called Jesus the parable of God. The word parable can mean many things. In its Hebrew origin, dabar erwat, it means a witty saying. But when the church spoke of, the, of Jesus as the parable of God, they spoke of the parables told by Jesus which are dangerous things. Because the parables of Jesus overtake our preconceptions and presuppositions of life and turn them upside down. Think of any of the parables told by Jesus in the Gospels. They undermine the foundations of our belief systems and teach us that in the end, The only one we can trust in completely is God. Jesus, the parable of God, entered life in a way that turns our presuppositions upside down. This is not the homily I planned to give this morning, but early this morning I turned on the television to get an idea of what other preachers were saying on Christmas Maybe to steal a better homily? (laughs) After all, Archbishop Fulton Sheen once said, a good homilist is also a good thief. (laughs) But what I heard one of the preachers say so infuriated me that I had to preach this message instead, which is in part borrowed from the homily Pope Francis gave at evening mass at St. Peter's Basilica last night. The preacher this morning spoke of the entirety of the events of the birth of Jesus. Not only the nativity in Bethlehem, but he ended with the gifts of the magi, the wise men who came to the Lord and offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh, pointing out that these were precious items given for the king of kings and the prophet of prophets. The preacher went on to say, and you and I who are sons and daughters through Christ, should expect the best things in this world too. If it's good enough for the Lord, it's good enough for us. We should expect blessing upon blessing upon blessing and expect the best that this world can give us. The parable of God turns that completely around. Almost two years ago, A number of us from the parish were privileged enough to spend some time in the Holy Land. It was my second time in Israel, in the Holy Land, but this trip just changed my understanding of the person of Jesus and helped me to understand him as a human being more than ever before. Perhaps it was the tour guide, perhaps it was the holy people who were part of the tour, perhaps it was the Holy Spirit. In Bethlehem, our guide pointed out that families lived there generation after generation. Families weren't as mobile as they are in today's society, and if you had a place to live, that's where your family stayed for many generations. Homes were not as medieval and Renaissance art would depict for us beautiful structures built around a town square. No, they were more often than not small rooms built either on top of or around a cave carved out of the rock in which the family farm animals were kept because that was their most precious commodity. Their home was built atop this enclosure for the animals to protect the animals from robbers and thieves. And more often than not, their homes were one large room in which there was plenty of room for many generations of family. Here's the first unsettling thing about Christmas. When Joseph returned because of the census that was decreed, To his family hometown of Bethlehem, he should have expected to be welcomed into his family home. It was when we're told there was no room at the inn. It isn't as though someone just got a little faster on the internet and made that last reservation at the Hilton. The inn was the family home. Multiple generations of Joseph's family had lived there when they all went back for this census to register, he could have expected and should have expected and probably did expect that he would be welcomed in with the rest of his family. But you see, he had a woman who was pregnant with him, who was pregnant before they were married, and had a fantastic tale about how that happened. When Joseph was told there's no room at the inn, he was being told, there's no room in this family for you anymore. The first unsettling fact about Christmas is that the family of Jesus were outcasts in their own family. Not welcome. Oh, Joseph, you can stay down with the animals if you want. But you're certainly not coming in this house. The second unsettling thing about Christmas is that the greatest story ever told was not told to anyone with any might or power or wealth. It was told to itinerant shepherds in the middle of nowhere who were out on that cold winter's night precisely because they had nowhere else to go. The message of the angels was told to people who had nothing of their own, who were hired hands to care for the animals of others and no place to rest their heads. There were kings, to be sure. There was a mighty Caesar just across the Mediterranean. It was not to Caesar. It was not to any king. It was not to a ruler. It was not to a a prince of industry, to whom the message came, but to those who were on the margin of society with nothing to offer the world at all. When the parable of God, Jesus, was born, that parable undermined our sense of propriety. God, through whom all was created, we're told through whom, without whom not one thing came into being, was born unwelcome, a message told to homeless who had nothing to offer. And even the prophecy given to Mary was that her son would be the rise and downfall of many. To those who would understand his message of parable, always being unsettled so that there's nothing and no one else to rely on but God's goodness and providence and grace they would rise but to those who always had a, have a little something extra in their back pocket just in case he would be their downfall because the parable of god would always shake them up just enough that they had to make a choice between trusting in themselves and trusting in God alone. To those who chose to trust in God, he would be the rise of many. To those who, ch- who, who said, if I follow him, then I'll have nothing to rely on except God, and surely that's not enough, he would be the downfall. As we celebrate this wonderful gift of God, it's not a gift that should fill us with peace and security. It's a gift that should make us unsettled in our lives as we realize that many of the things we have built our security upon are not the things of God. And the message of hope and love and grace and life that was given in that first Christmas was not given to anyone who had anything at all to offer. It was given to the marginalized in society, the outcast, the kind of people that you and I would just walk right by today and pay no heed to. In the end, the heresy of the preacher this morning in suggesting that this is all about me and the riches God has in store for me is that the parable of Christmas was lost. It isn't to bring the universe to me, but to open and expand my heart that I might see possibilities in people who have no role in this world, that I might see possibilities in those who have no standing in this world, that I might see possibilities even in the darkness and the challenges and setbacks of my own life when I think I have nothing to offer and nothing to live for and nothing more that can go wrong in my life. It's in the midst of the darkness of that long winter's night that we hear a tiny baby's voice, voice piercing the darkness. That's the parable of God making us unsettled, so that we can learn to trust only in God and no one else. All right, so I think there's a third unsettling thing about Christmas. (laughs) And that third unsettling thing about Christmas is everything in our world teaches us to be self-sufficient and provide for ourselves. And everything about Christmas tells us that we need to be the weak little ones who depend on others and especially on God for everything. That little child born in the midst of darkness could not in any way take care of himself. And in our moments of honesty, you and I have to admit, neither can we. We look to God for everything. And so we profess our faith in God. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth.